everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of bunk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. So ladies and gentlemen, tonight, oh, we have another amazingly full show. We are in full-blown election season, y'all. 2024 is here. We got an election coming up in November 2024. Biden is on the campaign trail. VP Harris is on the campaign trail. A lot of the surrogates are out there. Donald Trump is in a lot of legal trouble, y'all. We're going to break it all down to his final compound on this episode of Psychotic Bump School. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWG, thetruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show after this. Yeah, this is Jeff Keller from the Pocho Hour Power on KPFK 90.7 FM, and you're listening to the Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Oh, yeah. And if you dream to be free, I can take you there to follow me. And if you dream to be free, I can take you there to follow me. And if you dream to be I can take you there to follow me And if you dream to be free I can take you there to follow me Baby, I won't I won't steal you wrong And it seems like to me Follow me, cause baby, I won't, I won't steal your wrong, wrong. I will have to believe, there's no reason for you to leave. KCWGTheTruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we are about to get off into this week, this year in politics. Let me tell you, we have a lot to get to this evening. Donald Trump is up to his old usual stuff. He's in a lot of trouble, y'all. We just had a major outcome on the campaign trail with Kamala Harris and 
President Joe Biden delivering the message in the first state in the Democratic primary coming up and the second one, which also just happens to be the site of the next Super Bowl, number 58, y'all. And two teams have just punched their ticket over the weekend, the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, Missouri and California stand up. Oh, yeah. It was an exciting game. And uh, the Niners have returned for a 2024 rematch uh, to a match they played in 2020, y'all, when the uh, Chiefs defeated the Niners. I, I'm in California, and I, I, I guess I got to root for the Niners, man. I mean, am I supposed to root for the Niners because I'm in California? Yeah, I think so. I, I got to do it. If it had been another team, I would have rooted for the other team. But I got to stand by my state, y'all. San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs playing in Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas, Nevada for the first time where the Raiders play, y'all. First time ever a Super Bowl is going to be played in the state of Nevada. So big things happening in the NFL. Well, big things are also happening on the campaign trail. Oh, man. But before we get to that, oh, my God, another jury has spoken, y'all, and it's going to cost Donald Trump $83.3 million dollars. That's right. And that's on top of the five million he was already ordered to pay. Uh, and he owed that to writer E. Jean Carroll. And if you remember back in May of 2023, a jury found that he was indeed liable for sexual assault. And the judge in this case said, yeah, essentially he R.A.P.E.'d her. Yes, he raped her. OK, he raped her. So because he wouldn't be quiet, because he wouldn't keep his mouth shut, because he wouldn't respect the process. He was fined $83.3 million by a jury. Okay, so the naysayers cannot say that this was a hit job by the Democrats. You cannot say that this was Joe Biden's uh, Department of Justice just picking on poor old little Donald Trump. No, he wouldn't keep his mouth shut. And this was a jury of his peers. I mean, I'm not saying that they were all billionaires. Of course they weren't. But ladies and gentlemen, this is a jury of nine people. Only two of them were women. Ladies and gentlemen, seven men, seven. And it's not over, y'all. Coming up tomorrow and for the rest of this week, other questions are going to be answered about what else he's going to be owed. He's going to be facing Judge Arthur Ingeron again. And that's going to be the case in New York to decide financial penalties in the civil fraud case brought by the New York Attorney General. That would be uh, Letitia James. And she's asking for him to pay $370 million for allegedly misstating the values of his business assets. Oh my God, it, 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 it's piling up for this cat. And I'm telling you, and we're gonna be talking about the, the shenanigans that's happening in the Atlanta case with District Attorney Fannie Willis. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying that she's up to shenanigans, but one of uh, Donald Trump's minions, who is one of the people that was part of the uh, fake elector scheme, uh, I think his name is Michael Roman. He and his attorney came up with this scheme to go after one of Fannie Willis's prosecutors, his name is Nathan Wade. We're going to get into it. It, it. it sounds like a bunch of, you know, just nonsense. Uh, oh, man, it, it, it's just nuts. But the timing of it is going to be interesting because by the time that case is uh, going to be uh, rendered again or heard again, it's going to fall right at the same time between Georgia and New York. Um, there's two things happening on the same date on February 15th. There's going to be a federal appeals court in Washington that's going to convene. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, Georgia, the state case on 2020 election. All right, so here it is. Uh, the district attorney and Wade threatened to damage the credibility of the case. 
This week's are building toward a critical hearing on February 15th, an important date for Donald Trump in more ways than one. And what they're talking about is it happens to fall at the same time as the hush money case. Okay, so the hush money case. I tell you, this dude's got alphabet soup of legal problems. He should not be running for president, y'all. He needs to be off the ballot. The dude is unfit for office, let alone the campaign trail. But on February 15th, he's not only going to have to face uh, what's happening with the Georgia case and the fake elector scheme, he's got to deal with this hush money payment uh, thing that he created in 2016. And that's related to Stormy Daniels. And uh, this is New York with this one. And the other case is Georgia. And both cases are going to be heading to the, toward a vortex <laughs> on February 15th. And they're going to get instructions in both of those cases, two different states on the same date about how they're gonna move forward. One of them is gonna be determining um, if he can be prosecuted. Uh, you know, he's appealed to the highest court. That's what he does. He appeals, appeals, appeals. It's not gonna work, y'all. This this dude is on his last rope and uh, he's going down. He is going down and, it, and it's, it's not looking good. So he's gonna try everything he can and his minions underneath him, like Michael Roman, are gonna be doing what they can to divert attention away from the, the, the charges that they're facing. Michael Roman, of course, was connected to Mark Meadows, who has flipped on Donald Trump, who is planning to testify in either March or April of this year, a couple months away. And of course, Mark Meadows was, you know, attached to the hip of Donald Trump during his entire administration. And he's been granted immunity. So Mark Meadows is going to spill the tea on Donald Trump. And if you listen to Chris Christie, who was just off the campaign trail running for president as a Republican, he's saying by springtime, it's going down. He said Trump is getting convicted when Mark Meadows starts to open his mouth, when that canary starts to sing, ladies and gentlemen, he's going to be sitting in the courtroom across from Donald Trump. It's not going to be nothing pretty. I'm kind of, I mean, I don't want to see it. I mean, people are saying, why don't we have it televised so that we can see what's going on inside? Man, I don't care. Trump is acting silly and he's going to do everything he can instead of uh, campaigning on the campaign trail. He's trying to campaign from the courtroom and then go outside to do a little press conference. He's doing everything he can to have this unconventional um, total disregard and disrespect for political norms and traditional norms of American governing. He wants to do his own thing and it's finally starting to catch up to him. And I'm telling you, people are tired. People are tired of it. Okay, he won in Iowa. Last week he won in New Hampshire as well. It wasn't a blowout though, like it looks like it appeared to be on the surface because even though in Iowa, 750,000 people were registered to vote there, only 100 people, excuse me, 100,000 people showed up and only half of those went for Donald Trump. Yes, it was a bad snowstorm, but a lot of people just were not excited to vote for him. And even in New Hampshire, people thought, well, it's a foregone conclusion that he was gonna win that one too. Ron DeSantis had jumped out by that time, but Nikki Haley was still in the race and she got about 43%, I believe, essentially a two-person race, but he's not running away with it. And that is a huge problem because when they polled Nikki Haley's voters, they said if she doesn't win, they are not voting for Donald Trump. They're gonna vote for Joe Biden. They said it straight up. And so that's a problem for uh, this incumbent wannabe the former occupant of the White House, the one now charged with insurrection by the state of Colorado, the one now banned from the election in Maine, 
headed for the Supreme Court, the one now, um, <laughs> oh my God, the one now who's been found guilty of fraud, okay? The one now found liable for rape, okay? Yes, we can say that now. We can say it with definitive clarity. It's not cap. It's not partisanship. This is beyond politics, y'all. This goes to the very moral decency and character of the country. The guy is unfit for office. And look, all of us should be pounding the sand and making sure that we're getting the message across to the land that this guy is not suitable, not even suitable to, to, to call himself a, a candidate for the highest office in the land, let, know, let alone planet Earth, okay? But in other news, we're going to come back to some of this as we go along. But Trump's in a lot of trouble, y'all. On the campaign trail, they're talking about the economy. And bringing us that message has been Janet Yellen at press conferences. Dr. Janet Yellen, who is a part of the, uh, the, the Treasury. We also had Lyell. What's this woman's name? Uh, she did a very good job. Lyell Brainard. She also was at... Corinne Jean-Pierre's press conference. She represents the NSC and she's part of the special council of uh, economic advisory, Lael Brainard. So we're going to hear from Lael Brainard, Dr. Janet Yellen. We're going to hear from Joe Biden himself. And uh, he was in uh, Wisconsin this week. He was also uh, coming on the trails of South Carolina. And Kamala Harris was in Nevada. And the reason why they're in these states, ladies and gentlemen, is very important. South Carolina will be the first state in the Democratic primary this year. First time ever that South Carolina is going to be first in the election cycle. Early voting starts this weekend coming up. Early voting is starting. So it's here. No more delay. No more nice guy. It's pedal to the metal time, y'all. Early voting starts this week. Early voting also starts in Nevada. That's coming up soon. This is election season, y'all. And so Biden, Harris making the case. Let's talk about the economy. Next segment, we'll talk about immigration, y'all. It's going to be a masterclass, so you want to stay tuned for this. So let's check out what they're talking about. These are the Democrats making the case, y'all. Here is Lael Brainard. Stand by. We got some data today that shows that we really are seeing a small business boom across America. Earlier today, the data showed that 16 million business applications have been filed since the president took office, making this the strongest three years on record for new business applications in 20 years. In fact, each of the last three years has seen more business applications filed than any previous year on record. That's more applications than in all four years of the previous administration, as you can see on this slide. Analysis shows that those applications are translating into new business formation. And of course, we know small businesses are huge job creators. Small business growth has been particularly strong among black and Hispanic entrepreneurs, with black business ownership doubling and Hispanic business ownership up 40% compared to before the pandemic. We also received encouraging news today on inflation that shows inflation is down nearly two thirds 
as supply chain pressures have eased. And you can see this in this slide with uh, the reduction in supply chain uh, pressures over the last year being followed by uh, reductions uh, in inflation. Prices have come down for some key household items like eggs, milk, and toys. Um, and of course, we've seen gas prices down. Uh, they're now uh, below $3 in much of the country. Uh, and uh, we are also going to continue our focus on lowering costs for American households. So the president is very focused on that. He has a uh, agenda to lower prescription drug costs much higher here than in the rest of the world. So bringing down insulin prices, bringing down uh, out-of-pocket costs for seniors, uh, negotiating Medicare drug prices. Uh, and the president's also calling on corporations who increased their prices when supply chains were snarled and input costs were rising to bring those prices back down and to pass along the savings as input costs are coming down to consumers. Okay, in a separate discussion in the city of Chicago, Dr. Janet Yellen, National Secretary of the Treasury. The unemployment rate is near historic lows. It has been below 4% for 23 months now, which is a stretch that has not been seen during the last 50 years. Like our response to the pandemic, our recovery matters. It matters for the middle class. Household medium, median wealth increased by 37% between 2019 and 2022. And this is the largest three-year increase on record. Real wages have risen from their pre-pandemic levels, especially quickly for middle-income households. And because wages have risen more than prices, middle-class Americans now have more purchasing power. New Treasury analysis shows that a worker earning the median wage today can buy the same goods and services as in 2019 with nearly $1,400 left over to save or spend. And families are now putting their extra income and their accumulated pandemic-era savings back into the economy. Put simply, it's been the fairest recovery on record. We see this in gains not only for middle-class Americans, but also across demographic groups, such as the rapid decline in unemployment rates for Black and Hispanic Americans. There are gains across, across the country, too. Before the pandemic, the unemployment rate was nearly 20% higher in rural than in metropolitan areas, and that large gap has been eliminated. We don't need to invent a counterfactual. We can see it outside the United States. The U.S. has seen a particularly strong GDP recovery, and inflation has cooled sooner and more quickly than in other large advanced economies. And the particulars themselves. President Joe Biden talking to voters in Wisconsin, talking about his economic plan, his infrastructure plan, the CHIPS Act. He breaks it all down. And we're going to be landing with Kamala Harris, who took a stop in Nevada, the site of Super Bowl 58. 
breaking it all down to its final compound. Stand by, y'all. What we're doing in Wisconsin, Minnesota, is just one piece of a much bigger story. Look, 14 million new jobs since I became president. 169 new jobs in Wisconsin. 200,000 in Minnesota. Nearly 800,000 new manufacturing jobs nationwide. Good paying jobs. And employment has been the lowest, been below 4% for the longest stretch in 50 years. And it's even lower in Wisconsin, Minnesota, where it stands at 3.3 and 2.9% respectively. That's our economic plan. Invest in America, invest in American products, build in America. That's what we call Bidenomics. On my watch, instead of Infrastructure Week, America's having an infrastructure decade. Yeah. We're rebuilding factories and jobs are coming back to America. For example, you know, when we you know that little computer chip that everybody needs for everything from your watch to your automobile? Well, guess what? We used to make, we invented them. We made them more sophisticated. We used to have 40% of the market, and all of a sudden, we have nothing. You know that, and so guess what? I got in a plane and went to South Korea. My staff went, what the hell I was doing? I talked to the, the, prime, the, the leader of South Korea. I said, you have a thing called Samsung. You make a lot of these computer chips. Come to America. Well, not only they, but a total of $50 billion is coming to America, building factories in America, in America. There's a place just outside of Columbus, Ohio. They call it the Field of Dreams. They're building two of these these fab, these fabs, they call it, factories. They're like gigantic football fields. And guess what? They hire a whole hell of a lot of people, not only building the facility, but working there. You know what the average salary is? 110000 bucks a year, and you don't need a college degree to have the job. The Midwest is coming back. And these senators right in front of you, they delivered. Amy delivered. Tammy delivered. Tina delivered. I mean it sincerely. And you, the American people, supported. Now, I work with some Republicans to get the bipartisan law done. And it got done. But I'm sorry to say the vast majority voted against it. But you know what? That's okay because we're building projects everywhere, no matter whether they voted for it or not. I promise to be a president for all Americans, whether you voted for me or didn't vote. Now, today I'm told that former President Donald Trump is also in Vegas. And in his comments today, as always, he made clear his fight is not for the people. His fight is for himself. The former president openly talks about his intention to weaponize the Department of Justice. He openly says that he is, quote, proud that he overturned Roe versus Wade. taking the freedom of choice for millions of women and people in America? He openly talks about his admiration for dictators and has vowed he will be a dictator on day one. 
Now, understand what dictators do. Dictators jail dirt journalists. Dictators jail journalists. Dictators suspend elections. Dictators take your rights. And Nevada, as the great Maya Angelou once said, when someone tells you who they are, believe them the first time. Well, the former president has told us who he is. And we must recognize the profound threat he poses to our freedoms and our democracy. We must recognize the profound threat posed by extremists across our nation who have been inspired, encouraged, and even cowered by the former president. In this moment, all across our nation, we are witnessing a full-on attack on hard-won, hard-fought freedoms and rights. The freedom to vote. The freedom to be safe from the horror of gun violence. The freedom to live without fear of hate or bigotry. The freedom to love who you love openly and with pride. The freedom to learn and acknowledge our nation's true and full history. The freedom of a woman to make decisions about her own body and not have her government tell her what to do. We are clear on that subject. One does not have to abandon their faith, or deeply held beliefs to agree the government should not be telling her what to do with her body. Attack on fundamental freedoms. And so, when we win majorities in the United States Congress, and when Congress passes a bill that reinstates the protections of Roe v. Wade, President Joe Biden will sign it. Joe Biden will sign it. And all of this to say, on all these issues, and many more, who sits in the White House matters. It matters. In 2024, Nevada, freedom is on the ballot. Freedom is on the ballot, and our democracy is on the ballot. You know, I think that the nature of democracy is, is twofold. On the one hand, when a democracy is intact, it is very strong in terms of what it does to protect individual freedoms and rights, the strength it gives its people. On the other hand, it is very fragile. It is only as strong as our willingness to fight for it. Let us understand that this is a moment for us
to be strong and stand for the kind of country we want to live in. This is about standing for the kind of country we want to live in. And let us know our incredible power in this moment. Because just like in 2020, the people have the power to make our voices heard. And today is the first day for early voting in your primary election. your ballot for President Joe Biden and me. So let's get to work, and in conclusion then, Nevada, I ask, are you ready to make your voices heard? Do we believe in freedom? Do we believe in democracy? Do we believe in opportunity for all? All right, this is KCWG, thetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and that was a breakdown of what's been happening in the week in politics with Democrats on the campaign trail, bringing the message about the economic empowerment, the general consensus of economic sentiment that's improving across the land. It is palpable. The message is starting to sink in, y'all. Yo. Five dog, what I go on with the crow with the nothing, that's why me had to come true. Five dog, you spit wicked every verse. Them no say respect the training man first. Five dog, I know you have them all shook up. Coach, cause you a mastermind they cook up. Five dog, what I go on with the crow. Nothing, that's why me had to come true. Five dog, you speak wicked every verse. Them no say respect training man first. Five dog, I know you on a one and twos. Give me that one more bit. That's the one for Five dog, I know you want a one and twos. Give me a zero zero and do exactly what you do. Try call quest, you see them back with one another. Hey, your boss or boss, they don't want no problem. Five dog, Donald, five dog. You can call me Don Juice, I'm the sh right now What you need to see proof? Recently on the internet they chatting Taking post debating who can win in battle rapping Let's make it happen, these cyber thugs already part No subliminals with me, you know who the f you are Who are smart, ha ha, well here are Orthodox spitter or ring on a south paw No doubt I'ma set it, dudes best be ready Off top on a spot, no reading from your wack Very Leave the iPhones home, skill sets must be shown I'ma show you the real meaning of the danger zone huh. I got it so Ace pick to all clones, untouchable in my zone. Watch your tone, leave him alone. Get cheap flows with bars sweeter than scones. 
Put the microphone. Yes, yes, he's the wrong one to with no matter what the day. He could catch you on his plane or the one he on the day. Visit again, then he dream, make a scream of bloody murder. He's the trainee gladiator, ain't no need to take it further. If you wanna take it further, your huckleberry is here. Doctor up your holiday, wired up your good like the tears. We gon' celebrate him, elevate him. Father had to levitate him, give him his and don't debate him. Top dog is the way to rate him. WG, the truth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we've just been having a good old funky good time, breaking down to its final compound everything that's happening in our politics. So much to talk about. In the first segment, of course, we were speaking about the economic outlook on the country as we go into this election season for 2024. We elect the president again, y'all come November, a few short months away. 
And in that first segment, of course, we laid out the economic argument, the messaging case on behalf of the Democrats. President Joe Biden is breaking down what he's done in terms of his infrastructure bill, which was passed on a bipartisan basis. That means both Republicans and Democrats involved, though a lot of Republicans in Congress didn't support it. And governors that are of the Republican Party also don't support it across the country until that money gets there. The money from the infrastructure bill has absolutely transformed the economy. As he was speaking in Wisconsin, it was just interesting. And the reason why I let it play so long, what was interesting is that he didn't take all the credit for himself. He credited uh, his senators. I think her name is Tina Snow. Of course, Amy Klobuchar out of uh, Minnesota was also there. Tammy Baldwin, a senator out of Wisconsin. He credited his team. And isn't it refreshing, ladies and gentlemen, that we have a president with enough humility and class to say outwardly in front of people that it ain't all because of me. I had a whole lot of help and a whole lot of support. And I know people want to use Joe Biden's age and his speaking ability as a punchline in modern day politics. Look at his results. Look at the receipts the longest stretch of job development in the history of the country, the best economy since the late 60s or early 70s, and he is absolutely killing it in job creation. This is the best time in history for United States citizens to go out and find a job. But we gotta talk about this thing regarding immigration. I can't think of two better messengers than the ones you're going to hear right now. I was trying to find some clips from Congress, and I found some, but I'm not even going to use that. I'm going to use the two best fighters uh, that give it to the Republican Party and MAGA, MAGA in particular. But these two are the cats. First one, California Governor Gavin Newsom. Let's go. Mitch McConnell, I thought that was shameful, what was reported out that he's just completely rolling over and capitulating. Don't even get me started with the weakness of the current Speaker of the House. I mean, they don't want a deal, period, full stop. They don't want a deal. They don't want to make this, quote unquote, campaign win for Joe Biden. It says everything you need to know about the fraud that they're perpetuating on the issue of the border. They want to make this a political issue. Consistently, they have wanted to make it. Ever since there were a few brave souls with that gang of eight. If we all remember those black and white movies. Yeah, I'm days. old enough to remember that. And ever since there, everyone, they just walk away. They run away. The first day he's in office, not, not the next day, the same day he gets sworn in. He puts out a comprehensive immigration plan. That was, and, and yet he didn't have a counter. They had no strategy in terms of, of the Republican Party even, even combating that. They just wanted to kill it. They didn't want to debate it. They didn't want to engage. $14 billion proposal, $14 billion. That's his latest proposal to address their stated issue of border security. 2300 new border patrol agents. Another thousand in addition to that to deal with fentanyl. Close to another billion dollars, 850 plus billion dollars just for new technology. And then address some of the issues of backlog on asylum to address those that are here waiting for asylum claims. They won't touch it. They don't want to solve this problem. They want to use it for political purposes. And again, I say this as a border state governor, no one has to introduce me to this issue. We're the largest port in the Western Hemisphere in the state of California. We live this, and I think it is a disgrace what the Republican Party's doing, what Donald Trump is doing. And this is hidden in plain sight. He sent out a tweet or some truth whatever yeah. saying, kill it. And these guys are so weak. 
how bad, it's so pathetically weak, this Republican Party and the new speaker said, oh yes sir, what else would you like us to do? We don't care about America. We don't care about our freedoms and liberties. We care about politics exclusively at the expense of the American people because all we care about is winning for winning's sake. That is shameful. All right, and if you think he didn't mince words, wait till you hear this. This, I called it at the beginning of the show, a masterclass on immigration and how to take the, the message right to your opponent. Ladies and gentlemen, Roland Martin is a broadcasting journalistic legend. People, if you don't watch Roland Martin Unfiltered, you really should consider it. He's giving the goods. He's giving the messaging. He's giving you the tools to go out and make this case. But he's giving you such a history lesson with this, too. I'm going to shut up for the rest of this segment and just let Roland Martin cook because the jewels that he's dropping in this segment from here on out is going to amaze you. He doesn't mince words, y'all. For all the people who are watching, this is why I keep trying to explain to y'all why you got to stop spending so much of your time uh, on the gossip blogs and all the other BS because what is happening right now, y'all, we actually saw this in the last 15 years. You know where we saw it? Europe. Guess what's been going on in Europe? I need everybody to understand what I'm talking about. In the last 15 years in Europe, guess what happened? The Germans, the Italians, the French, the British, all them white folks stopped doing the same thing white folks in America stopped doing. Procreating. They stopped having babies. If you go right now to Google and look up What's the average age of Italy, <laughs> Ireland, Germany, France, England? Increasing. What's their concern? We ain't gonna have no people. Now, some of these FBA B1 dumbasses. Roland Martin said here, he said we need immigration. We need these people. Let me say it again. Okay, you know what? Since some of y'all don't understand, the report came out today talking about the economy grew at a 3.3% annual pace. It's called gross domestic product. It's called GDP. Let me explain something to y'all. Your GDP can't grow if your population is falling. Okay. Let me say it again. Your GDP cannot grow if your population is falling. Why is Europe, why have they been having economic anxiety, economic calamities? Why has Europe not rebounded as quick as the United States when it comes to inflation? It's because all of those folks in Europe are trying to hold on to whiteness and guess what, they're dying. That's why they have been fighting in Germany, in Italy, in France, in Britain, African immigration, black people, brown people. Oh my God, y'all didn't see all the stories? I did, the last 10, 15 years. Too many of them, too many of them coming. We're losing our way. Y'all stop having babies. Italy, Ireland, Germany, France, London, 
won't exist in 30 years if their population keeps falling. Okay, I'm gonna throw one more on here because see, this is I know some of y'all sitting here. So y'all trying to look at me like they like look at Dr. King. Why you why, why you focus on this foreign stuff? Why don't you stick to that little black stuff, civil rights? There's a y'all ever heard a country called China? Anybody remember watching 60 Minutes in the 80s when they did a story on China's one child policy? Greg, Reese, Lauren, y'all might remember that. Yes. One, child, one child policy, y'all. China was like, hey, 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 hey. Uh-uh, we got too many people. So you know what China did, y'all? China said no family could have more than one kid. That's right. Now, everybody talking about how smart China is. No, China was dumb. Because yep. China didn't do no math. What China didn't realize is if you limit one family to one child, when people start dying, you need a population to replace the people who have passed on in order to continue to do all of the jobs in a functioning economy. Mm. Guess mm. what happened? China went, oh shit. The hell are we thinking? So you know what they did? Shit. Okay, two child. Now they just change it. Three child. Next right. up, they're gonna be saying, hey, I need y'all to have five kids. That's right. And it's too late. Too late, y'all. It's too late. Because <laughs> guess what? All of the people who were living in rural China, manufacturing in the farms, yes. they don't exist. They move into the city. China is having economic upheaval because they ain't got enough people. That's right. So, what white Americans are doing, that's why I wrote this book, White Fear, because I lay it all out in here. They, we're losing our way. Y'all, the numbers simply do not lie. That's right. You're not going to have a great America and an economy 30 years from now, unless you have people in the jobs, trained, educated, and now positioned to have children in order for the next 30 years. See, some of y'all just thinking about the next six months to a year. And, and, I, and I get these black people, man, they, they coming over here, uh, they taking our jobs. Wrong. This is, listen to me, black people. These white supremacists got you using the same language. That's right. Using the same language as them. And I already know, I know all you FBA B1 dumbasses. Gonna run your mile, do your videos. See, there you go. He an anchor, baby. Uh, he Haitian. I'm not. <laughs> and if you were, so what? Right. Mom and right. daddy from here. Grandparents from here. Great grandparents from here. My maternal, paternal ancestors migrated from Haiti. That leaves me with three other grandparents, dumbasses. But 
Oh, and by the way, for all you dumbass FBA and B1 people, black immigrants account for 10% of the U.S. population. And so when we're talking about congressional seats and we're talking about apportionment, when we're talking about census dollars and stuff along those lines, guess what? Those black immigrants are included. So you're going to want that 10% because, see, you're going to want the number of folks who are black immigrants who are in Minnesota. You're going to want those black immigrants in Houston, largest Nigerian population. You're going to want those black folks from Liberia, black folks from Bermuda. See, this is when I need our people to stop listening to YouTube economists. Come on. Uh... TikTok anthropologist and uh, Instagram political scientist to understand the larger picture what we're dealing with here. You have to create a functioning system where you are processing people properly and then where they're also going. Because the last point I make here is this here. For all y'all people who are sitting here, who are freaking out, guess what? Black and brown immigrants is what has changed the population shift and the electoral shift in places like Arizona, New That's Mexico, right. Georgia. That's right. See, this is the problem, Reese that we got too many people listening to dumb folk on social media who are not fully understanding of what's going on here. And while these same people are yelling and screaming about migrants coming in, they don't even have remotely the same energy when it comes to advocating for public policy for the existing people that directly impacts us, they spend more energy trying to fight them versus, hold on, wait a minute, hold up. Let's make sure these folks are elected, then let's make sure these dollars are apportioned, because I'm going to say it again. Right. Congressman Bobby Scott was sitting here shoveling money to HBCUs when the Democrats control the House. And guess what? That money was, that money was, so guess what? All these HBCUs, Tennessee State, Howard, Morehouse, Spelman, Texas Southern, Florida A&M, we're seeing massive increases. Now we got to build more dormitories. What's that called? Black construction. Oh, now we got to acquire the land. What's that called? Black real estate people. Oh my goodness, we now got to have more goods and services. What's that called? Black stores. But again, though, the simple Simons out there don't quite understand the notion of building a black economy and a black infrastructure because they so caught up sounding like white supremacists saying, oh, here come those other people. Republicans have been ranting and raving. Go to the border. Fix the border. Fix the immigration problem. And right now, you've got Democratic and Republican senators ready to strike a bipartisan deal. And Donald Trump goes, wait, don't you touch that because I need immigration as a campaign talking point because they can't run on the economy y'all the numbers are changing they can't run on that so now it's like I need that I need that 
And this is the moment where Democrats should be on the offensive. Saying, where you at? We're here. We're ready. In fact, I will say it. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. I say Senator Chuck Schumer. Go to the border, have a news conference. And say, where you at? See, again, they have been punking Democrats. Yeah, Vice President Kamala Harris, you're supposed to be the border czar. What you doing? Where you at? Remember the hold, all the funk they made about how she answered the question to Lester Holt uh, about going to the border? This is when you go on the offensive and you say, oh, y'all don't care about the American people. Y'all don't care about this issue. Y'all some crass politicians because your dear leader, the orange orangutan, has told you, don't you dare fix this problem because I need it for the next eight months. Hit them. Forget that Michelle Obama crap. When they go low, we go high. Nah. They punch you in the chest, you punch them in the stomach. They punch you in the stomach, you punch their ass in their thighs. They hit you in the thighs, you punch their ass in the shins. They hit you in the shins, you knock out their damn ankles. They hit your ankles, hit the bottom of their feet. This is where Democrats have to be absolutely aggressive, completely aggressive, and say, you want to swing? Let's swing. Y'all a bunch of hot air. Y'all are all talk. You ain't trying to fix Jack. And then you can say, just like your boys had infrastructure week for four damn years. <laughs> I need see, see again, all y'all who are at home listening on the podcast, video, audio, this is what I'm about to say. Biden Harris goes, uh-huh, four years. All y'all had was infrastructure week. Y'all were all talk. We passed the bill. Y'all were all talk about reducing inflation. We passed the Inflation Reduction Act. Trump, you didn't sit here and fund HBCUs. We dropped 6.5 billion to HBCUs. You were excited about 250 million. They can walk their asses down on issue after issue after issue, but you can't be afraid to swing. And then, you, and then, and then if I'm Biden, I'm like, mm-hmm, you focus on my age, I'm focusing on getting stuff done. They should be hammering every single day. They should be sending out administration officials, not campaign officials, administration officials, Democratic leaders in the House, Democratic leaders in the Senate, Democratic governors, Democratic mayors should be saying, you sorry, do nothing Republicans. All you're doing is kissing the ass of Trump and not fixing the problem. Who do you work for, the American people, or do you work for that orange one indicted four times on the 91 counts? Hmm. Yeah, that's how I would respond. I would be hitting every Sunday show this, uh, this weekend, every show on Saturday. But you also got to have a coordinated attack. And let's see if y'all up to it. Because we already know what they're going to do. 
They've already made it clear what they're going to do. They want to run on the issue. You say, we came here to get stuff done and to fix stuff, not to kiss Donald Trump's behind. We shall see what they do. Like Kareem Abdul Jabbar, numbskull. I figured he pump up like Reebok Pumps. I figured he 
freak the stuff to make a camel lose his humps Chumps, so wicked he wears the beef Um, chief, he figures if it's the mold Like the gold that's on his teeth I rock some, I sock some, I drop some ah, So wicked he read these set down Hut one, hut two I think he dot my eyes and cross my ticket to teeth Bro, I swing it to swing more action than Hawaii Vibe Vote Microphone, check, 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 What's up, everybody? This is Cy Smith, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. I can see you clearly now. You're fooling no one. Fooling no one. What's
This is KCWG, thetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, that was an absolute gem by the homie Cy Smith. That's right. Cy Smith has a brand new project that she's just released entitled <laughs> Until We Meet Again. It's now available on all social media platforms Until We Meet Again by my good sister Cy Smith. And that track happens to feature uh, Leo Amuero. Uh, he's a Brazilian guitarist. Well, he spent some time in Brazil. I, I looked him up a little bit. He's played with Chris Bode, uh, Stevie Wonder, even Jimmy Hayslip, uh, some American artists and Latin artists all over the world. And speaking of Latin artists all over the world, right here in uh, California, by way of Oakland, you guys heard those congas at the beginning of the tune, right? Right, right. You know who that is. Sheila E. That's right. Sheila E. is playing on this track with Cy Smith. And I can't wait to have Cy back on the show. I want to ask her if Sheila's actually singing backups on this song. Kind of sounds like I hear her voice a little bit. I've seen Sheila E. perform in concert. I'm a big fan of hers. And uh, I'm really happy for Cy Smith. This collaboration with she and Leo and, of course, the legendary Sheila E., is an offering from her latest project called Until We Meet Again, and it's absolutely beautiful. Cy Smith, don't miss, y'all. She's the homie, and I'm really, really excited about this latest project. Cy Smith, y'all, masterclass. And speaking of which, I told y'all, Roland Martin wasn't playing. In that last segment, talking about immigration, Republicans don't want that smoke. They don't want that smoke. And I know uh, at times, Roland uh, became a little bit passionate in his uh, uh, rebuke of the nonsense of the talking points and how Democrats need to position themselves so that they're taking the confrontation directly to them. Now, for those that may think he's promoting violence, advocating swinging on somebody, that's not what he's talking about. He's using it figuratively, okay? Stop running from this issue. Take it to them. Take it to them. And I'm gonna give you an example of just that. But before I do, uh, he wasn't lying about China and what this this uh, this argument is really about. Uh, do you guys realize that China is in a lot of economic problems right now? They're experiencing some trouble. Uh, Evergrande, I think it's called Evergrande, one of their largest realtors in the country. They're facing bankruptcy. They are in a lot of trouble. And if the Chinese economy didn't have enough to contend with. Slowing growth, falling prices, tanking stock markets, a shrinking workforce, and fleeing foreign investors. A Hong Kong court added another cause for concern Monday. It ordered the liquidation of China Evergrande Group, the world's most indebted property developer, with more than $300 billion in liabilities and hundreds of unfinished apartment complexes across the country. It is unclear whether Chinese authorities will recognize the Hong Kong court's ruling and allow international creditors to seize the company's assets. But the decision will fuel fears about the state of China's property market, which makes up about one-fifth of the economy, and could ripple through the world's second-largest economy, already flailing. Nobody believes the economic situation is going to get any better, said Alicia Garcia Herrero, chief Asia-Pacific economist at investment bank Natixis, after Evergrande's share price slumped 20% on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange before trading was suspended. Once China's largest seller of real estate, Evergrande has been trying to avoid formal bankruptcy since 2021, when it defaulted on $330 billion in debt 
and sent shockwaves through global markets. The company was seeking more time to come up with a restructuring plan, but after 18 months without progress, Justice Linda Chan said Monday that enough is enough and ordered it to liquidate. Evergrande's chief executive, Xiao En, told Chinese media Monday that the company would try to continue normal operations and safeguard the legitimate rights and interests of creditors both at home and abroad. Today's decision by the court is contrary to our original intention, he told the 21st Century Business Herald, a Chinese financial publication. We can only say that we have done our best and that we regret it very much. Beneath Evergrande's bankruptcy is a wider fear that the Chinese economy may be sinking into a prolonged and steep slowdown that could hamper its, and the global economy's, recovery from the worst days of the coronavirus pandemic. Recent news has not been positive. China recorded a gross domestic product growth of only 5.2% last year, the slowest in three decades, excluding the three initial pandemic years, and its stock market has been performing particularly badly. China's financial authorities have been scrambling to stop a nosedive in Chinese and Hong Kong stocks. They've lost about 10% in value this year alone amid an exodus of foreign investors. But the piecemeal support measures have done little to restore faith. International investors, suffering whiplash from strict zero-COVID policies and politically motivated crackdowns on tech giants once considered the future of the Chinese economic miracle, continue to pull money out of Chinese companies. There are few reasons to be optimistic. China's population shrank in 2023 for the second consecutive year, despite official efforts to encourage more children. Y'all hear that? Even with a shrinking workforce, young people entering the job market are struggling to find well-paying and fulfilling work. Some prefer to check out and lie flat or become full-time children instead. Become full-time children instead? What? Their population is shrinking. And as Roland Martin said in the last segment, without having a robust uh, pool of workers, people, <laughs> how about just people, to replace the ones that are outgoing, they are facing some absolute calamitous times over in China. So that has a lot to do with what's happening in immigration today and why this issue is so polarizing and so vexing to so many people. And it's hard to have a civil discussion about it when people really aren't being honest about those very basic economics when just the math ain't mathing and people are looking around and seeing their numbers are shrinking. And any influx of anyone is a sign to them that they are here to take something away from you. Couldn't be further from the truth, but that's because they made a deal with the devil and they lost. Now, of course, these issues with the border Nothing new, okay? The Department of Homeland Security only came into being after 9-11, uh, 2001, when the trade centers were attacked and those airplanes hit the uh, the towers um, <laughs> under the watch of uh, another Republican president. See, that's another thing. The worst times that have happened in this country in the modern era, and I'm talking about the last 25 years or so, a Republican president has been in the White House. 9-11 was on the watch of George W. Bush, a Republican. The housing market crash of 2007, that was the second term of George W. Bush. Coronavirus shut down the country. Millions dead. Millions of people out of work. Kids at home without internet service. Having to go to the parking lots of McDonald's just to get internet service so that they can attend to their classes and do some homework happened under Republican president by the name of Donald Trump. The worst things happen when Republicans are in the White House. Republicans create recessions. Democrats create robust economies. And that's what we're seeing right now. But Democrats never get credit for digging the country out of the hole because people blame them for not doing it fast enough or quick enough. And yet, and still, on these issues such as immigration and the, uh, the, the, the economy, 
people are of this uh, misguided notion that Republicans are somehow stronger on that. Well, this podcast and others like it and media sources and people's sentiment across the country finally are bearing out that that whole notion that Republicans are better on the issues of immigration and the economy, it's fading away. It is fading away and fading away fast. And border security and uh, everything around it regarding international relations is important. We just had some uh, American troops that died over the weekend uh, serving in the country of Jordan. Uh, President Biden, I think, is attributing that attack to Iran. So they're uh, looking into that and they're vowing some retaliation. Uh, it's getting ugly, y'all. Uh, people have been occupying Jordan from our military uh, for quite some time. At least 3,000 American soldiers have been stationed there. Uh, typically year round, we have 3,000 troops over in the country of Jordan, and that's right on the cusp of the Israel, Gaza, um, all that that critical Middle East territory that has always been contentious, particularly for the Palestinians in that area. And so the Syrian border is right there too. So it's it's a very very important region uh, in the uh, in, in in the world. And the United States definitely feels like it has international interest there. So border security ties into ties into international relations. And the whole inception of the Department of Homeland Security was predicated on national security. And um, ironically, over the weekend, Republicans have advanced uh, a, a bill to impeach the current Department of Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas. This, this is what they do when they have some time on their hand. When they have the, the majority in the House Republicans, they're impeaching the director of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, because he's not, quote, shutting down the border. They've never shut down the border. They have never shut down the border. As a matter of fact, this whole argument that they're strong on the border, none of them in the Republican Party wear the moniker or bear the moniker called deporter in chief. That belongs to Barack Obama. So much so that people in his own party, Barack Obama I'm talking about, they've been critical over the years of his immigration policy because he was deporting so many people. Heck, under the Obama administration, a good friend of mine was also deported. They knocked on the brother's door in the middle of the night. Shout out to DJ Kutma. You know what I'm saying? He, I mean, I don't, you know, I can't speak to what his visa issues were at the time, but they came and got the brother during the Obama administration. So there has been no administration more aggressive about uh, immigration issues than Democrats have. Uh, they've tried to do it in a bipartisan fashion, like what's happening with the Senate right now. And there is a bipartisan Senate agreement that's formulating, but Donald Trump is asking them to kill it so he can campaign and run on it. Uh, it's nasty work. And what Roland Martin was saying is that if Democrats really want to wrestle this narrative away from Democrats or excuse me, away from Republicans, they're going to have to take it right to them. And we're starting to see it. He said they need to go down to the border and do a press conference. But New York is going to be facing on, I believe, February 13th, an election for the seat vacated by George Santos, the disgraced Republican George Santos, who did nothing but lie his way into office and he was ejected from Congress. And he is being replaced uh, prospectively by a Republican contender named Maisie Pillip. Maisie Pillip. And uh, she's a sister. She's an Ethiopian Jew, black woman, a sister, 
and she's running against the Democrat Tom Swazi. So in a tent city uh, migrant shelter, she held a press conference and Tom Swazi showed up there. Uh, this is a little bit of what Roland is talking about. She was doing a press conference there and she hasn't been willing to do any press and she's only agreed to do one single debate. Tom Swazi showed up, the Democrat showed up as soon as she left and he was like, yo, I'm here, where are you at? I mean, no, he didn't say that directly to her, but this is an example of what Roland Martin is talking about. Stand by. Tough questions for Republican nominee Mozzie Pillup, who's better known for what she doesn't say than what she does. Everything from government funding. We are focusing on our border crisis. Thank you. To why she's only committed to one debate with challenger Tom Swazi. Both are hoping during a special election to fill the vacated seat once held by disgraced Congressman George Santos. I have been available to the press every time when I got the request and I'm happy to speak. And uh, I have a debate coming on February 18th. Only one. One, because we're talking about, you know, when they announced my name was six weeks ago. It's a very short time to meet people, to engage myself, to be available for press, for press and do debate. In the past, Eyewitness News has requested to sit down with Pillup. We are still waiting for a response. Today, the topic of her event, the impact this massive tent city housing 1,000 migrants is having on the community here in Queens Village. After the event, like ships passing in the night, Swazi arrived. In this age of post-George Santos, I don't know how anybody thinks that they can run for the United States Congress from the 3rd Congressional District and not be transparent with the people, not make themselves completely available in every single way. But many point out this game of cat and mouse is a moot point. The race is falling along party lines with redistricting playing a key role. The Bronx, which is heavily Democrat, is no longer included, but Levittown and Massapequa, both Republican strongholds, are. Election Day, February 13th. But I tell you, this is the voice of calm right here. If you're not following this guy, consider it. No, I'm going to say it. Follow this guy, Simon Rosenberg. Write his name down, Simon Rosenberg. He created a substack called Hopium Chronicles. And I tell you, during an election season this year, it's going to help you stay calm. It's going to help you be rational. It's going to help you to not overreact. It's going to help you to not be so reflexive and impulsive when you see a poll that flips in favor toward Donald Trump and Republicans and GOP are talking that nonsense about how old Joe Biden is and how bad things are. Simon Rosenberg will get you right. Here he is breaking down the case for why he's optimistic about Joe Biden's prospects in 2024. This is Simon Rosenberg as he spoke over the weekend with MSNBC's Lawrence O'Donnell. Joining us now is Simon Rosenberg, Democratic strategist and author of the Hopium Chronicles on Substack. Simon, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Sure. You know, whenever I'm sitting through those long nights of election coverage, I'm always wondering what's Simon thinking. And unfortunately, you weren't there to tell us. So I, I needed to get you here to, to start things off tonight. I want to begin with what we just heard. Uh, I have never run uh, that long a comment of endorsement by a union official of a candidate on this program before. I've also never heard one that's as strong and clear and draws as sharp an issues uh, contrast exactly what the stakes are for voters in, who are in positions like United Auto Workers. 
Yeah, listen, I mean, this goes back to Lawrence, this, the basic fundamental reality about this election that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, which is that Joe Biden is a good president. The country is far better off today. The Democratic Party is strong in winning elections all across the country. And they're running the most unfit guy who's ever run for president in the history of the country. And, you know, this contrast between this modern and successful and, you know, a party, the Democratic Party, and the unbelievable historic mess that we're seeing on the Republican side is really what we've seen in the last few weeks. Remember, one of the things that happened in 2022 was these Trumpy candidates that ran in the battlegrounds struggled to bring their coalition together and they lost their elections. To me, the most significant data we've gotten in the last few weeks is we're starting to see clear evidence that Trump is really gonna struggle as nominee to bring his party together. To have the, the data that we saw last week in Iowa, which was repeated in New Hampshire, that a large number of Haley voters are planning to vote for Biden over Trump. We've never seen data like that before. That 30, 40% of Republicans view things that Trump have already done as disqualifiers for him. He's in trouble. He did not have a good last 10 days. And Democrats, uh, you know, as you pointed out, Joe Biden had a very good night in New Hampshire. We should feel very good about where we are. We've got a lot of work to do, but we should feel good about where we are right now. Simon, have you you've had 24 hours now? Uh, is that enough yeah. time for you to get over your shock <laughs> that the polls overstated Donald <laughs> Trump's position with voters in New Hampshire by double of what the margin actually turned out to be? Listen, I mean, Trump and MAGA are having performance problems, right? We've seen Republicans struggling in election after election since Dobbs happened in 2022. And Trump has come out of the box really struggling. In Iowa, they had very low turnout. I have this, this stat that 56,000 Republicans voted for Trump in Iowa and 700,000 Republicans didn't, right? I mean, where did every, where is this strong candidate drawing people out to vote for him? And then in New Hampshire, to your point, and you're one of the only commentators that have raised this, Trump dramatically underperformed the polling. I mean, by a really significant margin. So out of the box, this guy is looking like, you know, he's, listen, you and I discussed this last week. He is a different candidate than he was in 2020 and 2016. He's far more degraded, he's far more extreme, he's far more dangerous. He's having, un his performance on the stump is much more erratic and wild and unhinged. And he's making unbelievably consequential mistakes like coming out against the ACA and unforced error. He's a bad candidate, he's a weak candidate. Donald Trump is weak and, and unfit. He's not strong and powerful and we've got to help are the media come to, an, a, I think, a more accurate understanding of the nature of his candidacy. This guy is struggling, and we're going to kick his butt, I think, in the election in 2024. Trump right. is a new development, and it seems to me that Trump is a particular challenge for Poland, and they're using their methods that end up showing Trump with a 20-point lead in New Hampshire. He gets a 10-point win. Uh, is there something in the polling of Trump that the media has to be very, very careful of? I just think in general right now, we learned in 2022 that if you center your understanding of American politics around polling, you're taking an extraordinary risk, right? The polls did not actually predict or explain what was going to happen in the election. And I think we have to take all polling now with a grain of salt. I think part of what probably happened last night is that more independent voters probably showed up than 
many of the pollsters anticipated, that certainly which could explain why he didn't do as well, because the independent voters tended to vote for Haley, right? That would be an explanation. I don't really know that for sure. But I will tell you that in general, since Dobbs happened, and I really do, I begin to think that Dobbs may have broken the Republican Party in some ways, that the, even for the 20, 30% of Republicans who are not MAGA, it was just a bridge too far. It was too much. They couldn't handle it. And that the Republican Party now has even become deeply unattractive and ugly to Republican voters. And so since Dobbs in 2022, they've continued to struggle. They just aren't winning elections. They're not getting their voters to turn out. They're struggling in these early states. MAGA is a failed politics, as Nikki Haley, by the way, said. MAGA lost in 2018, 2020. And in the last two years, last we've done an extraordinary thing. The party in power always loses seats in modern American history. We gained ground in 2022. We gained ground in 2023. And that's because the most powerful force in our politics today is fear and opposition to MAGA. It's far more powerful than disappointment in Joe Biden and the Democrats. And the Republicans, you know, instead of running away from this politics, they're doubling down on what has been an absolutely failed politics in recent years. And I think Democrats would be optimistic about what, we're, what we can do in 2024. And driving the message home one more time this evening before we sign off is California Governor Gavin Newsom. You, you've you taken on this fight with some of the red state governors, obviously, Ron DeSantis. I appreciate and, you noticing. And, and you said you did it because you didn't think Democrats were fighting hard enough. Does yeah. that include the, the Biden I was a year, It was Biden. a year and a half ago, and I don't feel that way anymore. Absolutely not. Look, the, when Dobbs hit, that was a wake-up call. Because one thing we've learned with this anger in, uh, industry on the right-wing side is illusion dominates facts. It's narrative trumping facts. That's why Trump himself uses the courtroom as a campaign stop. It's to dominate the narrative. And I would hope that Democrats learn a little bit about communication strategy by flooding the zone and starting to get back on our feet in terms of dominating narrative. That's exactly what Biden's been doing. It's exactly what Harris has been doing on issues related to choice. Uh, and it's exactly why I'm here. One other important thing kind of looming over this, obviously, a lot of discussion of President Biden's age, um, which which brings raises the question, if something were to happen to Biden, Okay. Something what happened to any of us? <clears throat> right. All right. What, so what happens? Is it is it Kamala Harris? Well, we know that she's the vice president of the United States. Absolutely, by definition. I, something happens to me. It's the lieutenant governor of the state of I'm California. I'm talking about like, as the candidate. I mean, yeah. oh come on. So she's the, she's Biden, the nominee. And you spe- and we all spend time with Biden. Instead, I went to three hours on photo lines, on three events a day, then giving speeches. Are you kidding? At 80 years old to be in that kind of health? Uh, I have no issues whatsoever. And by the way, I'm an old-fashioned guy. You know, I think Bobby Kennedy said it best. What the world needs are the qualities of youth, not a time of life, a state of mind, a quality of imagination. That's Joe Biden. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet. At the intersection of funk and soul, my name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time, and it repeats again on Friday evenings from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. And I've been laying it out for you all for 2024, y'all. Election season is here. Early voting. Make sure you stay on top of your messaging and don't panic. Don't worry. Stay tuned right here to Psychotic Bump School. We will get through this together, y'all. I do all this for you so you don't have to. Also want to send a very, very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.